My name is Andrea Afuakwamia. Welcome to The Only Black Girl on Mars, a podcast where we shine a spotlight on strong Black women who are shaping the world through their diverse strengths, paired with their unique perspectives and experiences. Welcome back to The Only Black Girl on Mars. My name is Andrea Afuakwamia. Thank you for joining us again as we navigate the skies. This episode, I interviewed Marion D'Souza. She is a creative director that lives in New York City, originally hailing from New Zealand. And she is such an interesting person. We had such a fun time talking. She's been working as a designer for 16 years, but she has been freelancing and owned her own studio for the past six to seven years. Very fun, intrepid, and she speaks her mind. And I really value that about her. You'll notice that this episode is being published on a Saturday and not Thursday. And the very special reason for that is that today is Marianne's birthday. So please, 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 I'm going to put all of her information in the show notes as usual, but shower her with birthday love um, and follow her on everything. So this episode, we talk about Marianne's shift from the corporate world, um, where she was working for high-end luxury brands, to what compelled her to take shape um, and create her own journey, where she is still working for clients, but on her own terms. And she is also setting what she hopes to be the standard for gender fluid beauty and concepts that really support and uplift women of color instead of tearing them down. So enjoy this episode as we introduce and welcome Marian D'Souza. The Only Black Girl on Mars is an independently produced podcast, so please click the dollar sign in order to support us on Patreon or head to patreon.com slash blackgirlonmars underscore. Hello. Yay! Yay. <laughs> oh, you look so cute. <laughs> you look so cute. Thank you. See you later. Sorry? Are you going out after? No, I just like when we went grocery shopping and that's it. And I'm never leaving the house again for the day. <laughs> How did your move go yesterday? Oh, it was wild. I swear to God. So actually, let me, I'm texting a picture of the loft um, right now. But so far in the morning, everything was smooth sailing. And then so where I lived, I lived in this um, apartment complex called Park La Brea, and there's this one security guard that for a full year acted like I didn't live there, and he acted like he never recognized me. And now, especially with masks, like he can act more that way, and I'm always like, you know I live here, but he, he won't let me through the gate. And, and so when we were getting the U-Haul to move, I was just praying. I was like, please don't let it be this guy. And he held us at the gate for 20 minutes. And they said that they were going to like charge me $200 to like to move without a time, uh, like a time slot. But it's like one of those apartment complexes where they never pick up the phone or answer emails. So I'm like, I tried to get a time slot and nobody responded. So that's on you guys. So we, we had to like, yeah, I had to literally do some like 
pretend I was a fucking lawyer to get them to. <laughs> you to, had to know all of your rights in that moment. Exactly. And so, like, it could That's have crazy been. Right off, by the way, $200. Yeah, I was like, there's no way. Because here's the, the logical game that I played with them where I was like, okay, fine. Tell me what you're charging me for. Are you charging me for being a resident? And moving stuff down the stairs are you charging me for using the elevator and moving things down the elevator or are you charging me for parking and they yeah. couldn't answer any of those questions and then they finally were like oh no well it actually wouldn't be a moving charge but it would be a sound ordinance if someone complained about you moving and there were five other people moving and i was like no that's ridiculous and so they pretended they did me a favor by only giving us an hour to move so oh, wow. well you got really lucky there <laughs> so otherwise it was great yeah. let me i'm sending this to you now so you can see what the space looks like so it was worth it it was it was definitely worth it for us to get out of there and then i'm still waiting to hear about my apartment but yeah oh so it's you and jose yeah and i'm a bit of a low talker so like well it's good to have good it's good to have good acoustics though legit it's so much quieter than my old place so i have a good mic setup and we we got stuck in traffic like we went upstate for like, like a wee hike oh amazing where'd you go yeah. um harriman state park i don't know if i've been there it's like kind of by beer mountain and it's just like north past nyack okay yeah. It's like massive. There was a lot of people out. I was a little bit like, I don't, I don't yeah. need to be there. We can just go find like an off the beaten track kind of spot. Absolutely. Do you guys do that often? Yes. I try to go often. Actually, I'm glad I did it because I wanted to clear my head a little before you and I chatted. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's been like a crazy week. I mean, I think it's been crazy for you too. Mm -hmm. And I can't really focus unless I have like a balance of like, urban life and nature mm -hmm. because it's really hard for me so yeah I know exactly what you mean especially like I always find it really funny that I I end up living in cities like LA and New York when I am someone that like I could literally be in the forest for just sitting there for a few days just staring at stuff yeah. and uh, I realize it's what you know what we've talked about in the past where I just need to see people who look like me and don't look like me that's like the main thing keeping me keeping tied to cities yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, or yeah. else i'd have a little cottage somewhere where no one could find me i mean <laughs> like once you're over the loft lifestyle you could you guys you could like convince him to get into tiny houses oh like my tiny god homes. <laughs> girl he showed me these like mansions and i was like what do you think I told them today, I was like, okay, when you get your mansion, I'm going to be in the summer house where I won't get lost going down the hallway. <laughs> yeah, where you won't need like four housekeepers. Exactly. <laughs> I was it's, like, who's going to It's nice to here? dream though. Eh? <laughs> no, and I don't doubt that he's going he's gonna to get it, but I'm like, yeah, I, I'll stay in, in a cottage somewhere. I'll visit you. I'll I'll yeah. drive I'll drive to the edge of the property and say I hello. Mean, <laughs> listen, Jay Z and Beyonce are not complaining about. 
So fair enough, fair enough. Oh right? man. <laughs> People make it work. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Listen to me complaining that that my partner wants a mansion. I'm like Well no, like you know what you need to do is have really low expectations. So if it does work out, you're just like, fuck yeah. He'll be you'll be one of the first guests. We'll we'll have to fly you in. I'm like, I'm not making her walk down that driveway. <laughs> yeah, give us a master class on success, Jose. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited for us to talk. Like Yeah. I mean you I mean this is gonna be episode six, but you are kind of one of the OG women that I talk to about this project. Um yeah. you know the only black girl on Mars, like, um, for those who have listened to up to now know that it's, it really is a project to really spotlight black and brown women and, and who are paving a way for them to thrive. And I think you are really exemplary of that. And I, I, you know, just thinking back to like our first conversation in winter, like I was just, stoked when you were you were just really upfront about how you've worked with so many brands that just didn't appreciate your vision and um and you decided to take that leap so I'm just really excited to get your perspective and especially since there's been so many crazy things going on I mean I know this whole year but even just like this whole week you know or last week Kanye running for president and, and stuff like that. And then like a very public mental breakdown, I guess, of kinds. I know. So I just like want to get your perspective, even devoid of the art world. Like when we were talking about, you mentioned what you do for, for, um, for mental wellness and, and mental health. So let's start there. I think it's something that I've spoken about before, but I think it's really important for us to even start there for, for us to really explain to people why we would be willing to give everything up, like a few bucks, which to many people is everything, like the, the dollar signs, in order to take that risk. Um, you know, what was, what was um, at stake for you in terms of your personal well-being when you, when you made that choice? Um. I think, like, for me, it's very important always growing up. I grew up in a lot of different countries, and I think I tried to always carry with me the best parts of all those experiences. And so from a young age, I always realized that as much as having a nine-to-five job is important, as much as making, being successful, quote-unquote, successful is important, uh, is very important to also have morals and to have values that you can that can kind of be your anchor like Mm -hmm. through all of the craziness that is life yeah and I think that you know I've been doing it now I was doing the math about 14 or 15 years so I feel like I'm in a comfortable position where I can have that option of saying well like okay I'm ready to focus more on the things that were once side projects while I was building a career but I also understand that's not the case for other people. Right. However, I do think that we can all come to a point in our lives, our careers, our paths, our journeys, where you do find the balance between the career dreams and the goals for what you want and actually what you need. Yeah. I mean, we're both 
first gen and we've traveled around a lot. Or do you consider yourself first generation? It's hard, eh? I don't know how to identify. Interracial, am I bisexual? There's just like, can we all stop like with the spectrums and the, the scales? Like... Well, <laughs> well, let's just say like our yeah. parents originated from the co- different countries than where yeah. we reside now. Absolutely. And, but there's always that sort of like, I know for me, I was putting on pressure for myself based on a stereotypical traditional expectation of West African parents, Mm -hmm. Um, not even realize like they didn't care. I mean, they were always very proud when I got that like nine to five gig, but they would have preferred my happiness. I mean, did you ever in in the beginning feel pressure from just like cultural pressure um, to, to reach a certain level of success or merit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was born in India and my parents have like a very interesting heritage. They consider themselves Indian, but you know, my dad's great grandmother was Dutch and then my mother's great grandfather was Portuguese. So, you know, we were always one of the like unicorn kind of communities in India where we spoke English and we had all of this um, Western connection, I guess. And that always played into how we were treated from a very young age by our countrymen. And then I moved to New Zealand as a teenager or when I was about 15 or 16. And that was a whole other experience. But living in India in the beginning, it was always so obvious as a woman, as a girl, how there are certain things that were societally just not spoken about or expected of you. And there were some things that were an absolute that you soon learned were not an absolute. For example, I don't need to be married as soon as I'm 20, you know, when I'm like blossoming in my, my youth, (laughs) I don't need to, for, and this is more specific to, I think the South Asian, the global South community. I don't need to be an engineer or a doctor or, you know, one of, in the vein of one of those things. So yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of pressure to be that conventional kind of housewife. Right. And it was very tough. Like, I think I still battle with it to this day. I'm 36 now and they've, my parents and my family have had plenty of time to get used to who I am as a person. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's ever going to change. So I've learned to perceive it more as like, there are, are times and places where you will, will see and have the same wavelength. Mm. But the rest of the time, you need to just pursue what you want and what's in your heart versus what the the environment around you is telling you to do. Right. Have you you seen um, how Netflix published Indian matchmaking? Were we talking about this? Yeah. We laughed about that. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it was interesting because I, you know, I watched the series and on one hand, you had the traditional matchmaker who was saying that like, you know, they just have to be obedient housewives and uh, right. and do what their parents say and then they'll be happy and they'll get used to it. And I'm happy. So uh, yeah. it should be equivalent. But then on the, on the, at the same time, behind the scenes, she'd be like, this person is just a really kind person. They need someone who understands them. So it, I think there is sort of this like mix because even like you said, 
those of us, I think I have some traditional tendencies too, but I'm quite liberal like you. So in your mind, you're like, you know what the expectations were, but you also right. know, like, I can't really fight against who I am as a person. And I'm going to have to, one thing is going to have to concede um, in order yeah. to move forward. Right. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's a lot like, you know, when you're talking about your parents or your aunts and if relatives that perhaps still live in the homeland or your parents' homeland, their understanding of everything is, and their experience is so different that like, it's kind of like speaking Chinese to mm -hmm. someone French. Like mm -hmm. there are times where you could be like, no, you're being racist or you're being a misogynist and you're kind of just wasting your breath, which right. is bad. But it's also like, I don't, waste my time on those things anymore like I used to I when I started out I was like I'll be creative I'll be successful I'll, I'll make my parents proud I'll make all the communities I won't get any hate basically mm. but that's just not a reality like that right <laughs> yeah I think it's something I posted the other day was kind of like um learn how to uh be comfortable with someone not liking you or disliking you or and yeah. i obviously we're talking about family it's not that they dislike us but it's they, they just may not agree with us and um and yeah i think i think you put it very well because that do, that does play into in the beginning in the early years what we decide to become like i had studied pre-med until i was 19 and then i realized I don't have the heart to like, I don't want to change my personality in order to grow cold when I see someone is injured. And so yeah. for me, that wasn't enough for me to want to become a doctor and make money. But I had cousins. I even just had like a, um, a I don't know if we're distant cousins or, we're, or, you know, if it's just a auntie uncle thing where like we're not related but we're related but someone reached out to me. <laughs> yes it's so confusing i don't know who's related to me sometimes but <laughs> um but he's telling me about his kids or my age I'm like yeah one's in law school and one's an engineer and i'm like you know they like they ticked all the boxes and in the past i think that would make me feel really like oh i feel it some type of way like i didn't i didn't make it but now i'm like you know, if that's what they love, I'm happy for them. But I'm also like, right. super happy that I'm not in med school right now. <laughs> yeah. And there was also a lot of crazy getting into like a little bit more of the whole expectations in conventional, like given your backgrounds and stuff. I always thought it was funny because I, I'm Roman Catholic or I was raised that way. Mm -hmm. There was always a little bit of pressure to mate with mm -hmm. someone from that specific community because mm. it's like no we have to like flourish our lineage all of these like yeah and, I, and it was nice to be able to move away and strip away a lot of those conventions and just focus on art and creation and what I really actually wanted to do because like you I also chose the wrong path initially mm. I thought you know I'll do fashion design and that a lot of that was also it played into my ideas of what was expected of me as a woman mm. yeah. member of the family yeah can you tell us a little bit more about that and sort of like um 
maybe towards the later years of your time in fashion design and when you realized, you know, you'd, you'd really have to, that something had to change? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because I feel like since moving to the States, to the United States, I've learned a lot more just from having the privilege of being around black people and their culture mm. and looking back retrospectively at that period that you'd like to discuss, I realized how it was not just about me coming into my own as an independent woman. It was also about feeling repulsed by a lot of the commentary by white people around me mm, mm-hmm. because I worked for like companies like Adidas and, you know, some incredible places, but it, there, it was just hard because I feel like you're always literally, I was one of the few handful of Brown people in a basically white town. So right. every day at work, you always felt very much like very singular in your ideas Mm-hmm. And I know you and I chatted a little bit about how in terms of creativity, how a lot of people, like a lot of school teachers and art teachers are not used to appreciating art and creation from other cultures. I think mm-hmm. if it doesn't have a fairly European inspiration, it can't really be graded. Right. Also, I don't know if I want a white person grading that. <laughs> like, I know. So. I feel like it, it doesn't hit it doesn't hit home to them because they're not understanding. Many of them don't understand the, the, the depth of what the, the story is actually trying to convey. Right. You know, especially, you know, when we, for, for people like us, when people ask us where we're from, we're, we're kind of like, uh, do you want the, sh- the short story sure, or the really long story? Yeah. <laughs> for real. Like, it's funny too, like, did you ever experience or have you experienced when you travel around the world, the way that that question gets asked is very different? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like when yeah. I was in Canada, it would always be like, oh, what's your background? Because mm-hmm. I think Canadians are very similar to Americans in being like, very uh, close to the the countries that their grandparents came from right and they also have a lot of more recent immigration so they're like a lot more open about that yeah but i still think that's kind of offensive to just be like well what's your background <laughs> that's just me so <laughs> it's, I, and, yeah new zealand it's like a whole other kettle of fish it's probably a bit on the offensive end really <laughs> like for the most part <laughs> yeah people are just like so oh my god you're so beautiful like, you know, I have, I have mates, like, black friends who've been to New Zealand, they'd be like, yeah, I don't know if I like people touching my hair. Because people mm. are just so ignorant about that kind of stuff. The exotic fetishism, basically. Yeah, and it really played into a lot of my time in fashion, working in places like that, because it was that, that experience carried into the workplace and out, you know? Yeah, I, there, there's one experience where I'm, I want to, I'm curious to know if you... I'm sure you have a lot of stories like this, or maybe you have some insight into this. Um, I spent a very, very short, short, short tenure at Gucci. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't last there. Similarly to what you were saying about having morals, values, and and like just ethical standards. And luckily, a teaching opportunity was offered to me, and I was like, I, I, I can't miss this. I gotta go. Um, and the one of the main things that made me very uncomfortable. So I was a, I was a junior analyst at the time. Um, and when you go into Gucci's New York headquarters, yep. you see 
wallpaper, wall-to-wall pictures of like of black models wearing the clothes. And then as you know, they have the um they have their promos with like black models and dark, dark skin, and everyone is so beautiful. And then you go to their lookbook and you go to their website, and there is not a brown face to be seen. And it it in those small pieces it tells so much about about the company is basically selling black culture yeah to it literally is like if get out the film was was a company it would be gucci like that's how it <laughs> honestly like you would be surprised at how much competition they would have for that title mm. because it, it's yeah that that actually is a very good example and i've definitely had experiences like that you know what's easier? It's easier to tell you the brands that don't have that reputation than oh. it is to tell you the brands that do. <laughs> do tell, do tell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sure, I can tell you about like a lot of like, you know, when I worked for a European fragrance house, there was a lot of times where so much of that is coming like with Gucci, it's coming from a European headquarters, right? Mm-hmm. And their directive is so tone deaf to the black American market. Mm-hmm. And so there's just like this like fetishization of Ebonics, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. the rest is all just white ladies in a misappropriating shit. That's yeah. the reality. Or, you know, like whoever the creative directors are at these companies. But yeah, there's been instances where I've been told not to use black, uh, black models for like lookbooks for you know big american brands that you're just like i'm so confused right now these are american brands like you know why why and then later on i found out you know that the same very same brand is looking to suddenly change their image Mm. and as a person of color that was a trajectory i saw three years ago and i tried to warn you about and you just kind of waved me away because i was the only brown voice in a room full of white ones right yeah i mean when that happens, you know, is that something that you try to fight? Um, or is that why you decided to go on to freelancing and start your own business so that you could fight it in a way yeah, that you were think, comfortable with? Yeah, there were definitely, you know, there, were, there was like the straw that broke the camel's back, but not really. I feel like having done it for close to like 10 years, or so less than that actually i've been a graphic designer for about six years now six or seven but i I also did a lot of graphic design when i worked in fashion so it gets a little murky but Mm -hmm. the whole time i was doing it i always felt like you know where is where's like the real interest in something new and something cool and something beautiful because there's a lot of cultures that you could really invite into your brand and get their advice instead of it just being this like weird let me just steal that cut and paste it and then try to get this market interested in what I'm doing right I mean I think when you even when you think about that I think the hardest part for especially young creatives is the excitement they are to join these companies yep especially when they're depicting they're depicting our image just for those promos mm-hmm. and then it it gets people in oh my god and then 
<laughs> it's heartbreaking, right? I mean, you know, like a great example is a colleague, a friend of ours, of my partner's actually, he was asked to be in a, a Nike um, ad, you know, like, and, it, and it's like, that's awesome, dude. Like, congratulations. He is a, um, he's a musician and he's not an athletic person, but they asked him to basically dribble a basketball. And he's like a very light-skinned black guy. Okay. And I'm like, come on. Like, he doesn't even play basketball. What are so many black guys that legit would look action, like, dope in a Nike ad for you that would do it, that probably want that. But here you are just, like, cut and pasting a black guy with a basketball. Right. Not even, like, a dark-skinned black guy. He's so light-skinned. Like, it's not even, I feel like you, you're missing, you're missing the whole market. Right. Yeah. Did you have an opportunity to watch Black is King yet? I know someone who worked on it. I was so <laughs> pumped. I was really proud because there's a Ghanaian art director that I, I, he might not remember meeting me, but I'm such a huge fan of, and he got to work on the, um, the visuals. So I've been like watching bits of it. Yeah. Did you I watch mean, all of it? it up because of, yeah, what we're talking about. Yeah. She, well, Beyonce, has um like she's Lupita Nyong'o but she's in it and I was like that's a funny statement because they were kind of there was Naomi Campbell in the 80s or the 90s and then there was Lupita in like the mid 2000s and it's sad that there's such a huge gap between the famous dark-skinned black women right 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 impression and fashion and entertainment there's been a lot more Mm-hmm. But the fact that those are the ones that stick out to the average white person or non-black person, right? That that was interesting to me. There was a lot of interesting commentary like that. Or maybe that was just my perception. Yeah. So, and I think it's like loosely based on the plot of The Lion King. Right, right, right. So yeah. it's like all of the videos kind of flow into each other as a story. Yep. And... Yeah, it's, it's cool. I don't want to spoil it, but I enjoyed the poetry of it. I'm excited too, because yeah. like some of the some of the African artists that worked on it are so dope and definitely and that, that vibe. It was really beautiful. Like the one of the most well curated films I've mm. seen in a while. Like if I worked at a design school, I would use that as inspiration. You know, for my students. I think I'm obviously everyone loves Beyonce and. I, you know, back in the day when I, when it was just kind of like a fad to be like part of the beehive over time, like the thing I really love about her is kind of going back to what the point that you were making is she is someone that truly, truly uses her clout in order to uplift, you know, women of color who are darker than her. And she recognizes that she does have a bit of that that's little bit of privilege in terms yeah. of being a light-skinned black yeah. artist that is already like beloved right. globally and in space here on Mars. Like you know, no one she- <laughs> her. Like I was like, look at all these <laughs> people just like in it in seconds, but not say no to Beyonce. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's not even like it's no longer the Midas touch. It's like, it's the Beyonce touch. You know, you've, you've been dripped in, in, in blessings and gold. To people. Yeah. 
like I have not seen that many dope bodysuits one after the other. Like I'm like, wow, <laughs> you got like every hot art director out here killing exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh, I just like I really really appreciate that about her, and just it's you know you and I talked about you know we didn't really go deep into it because we know colorism is such a like it's something exactly like how can we even get to the periphery of the issues of colorism especially in the black female world like how a lot of times you know I have had friends who have been very upfront in telling me they didn't even consider that they have advantages compared to dark-skinned black women and I, I and I agree that that is completely innocent because in their perspective they are still dealing with similar right issues of of black women the same issues of like um like I have some friends who deal with having to use their middle name for just to get jobs or um or the same thing with like wearing their hair curly to work like none of this stuff changes right. for them but it's the difference of when you're in a dark-skinned black body mm-hmm. where a lot of it is just so much more in your face right away like the, you, you get less chances you get yeah. less opportunities and and yeah. forgiveness is non-existent most of the time yeah wow. but yeah that's a really great point because it is it is much more severe the darker your skin is and as women like we're already as much as we try we're already a rung lower than all the men around us Hmm. so it is it's a very hard thing and i don't think that enough of us brown women light-skinned black women white passing asian whatever what have you like anyone that has that privilege i don't think that we really as women support our black sisters enough and we just don't Hmm. i don't see it i think that it's starting to be a thing but the problem is like there's too many hashtags and trends Mm. and bandwagons to jump on and messages are just being completely destroyed right right i'm like mute i'm starting to be more mute than i am active right thinking about a lot of things because i'm just like i'm just drowned out by the algorithm and the noise right and it's hard to swim through the like who is being sympathetic versus empathetic versus you know, I loved this video where um, uh, an activist was talking about co-conspirators, where it's, that is someone who is taking action yeah. alongside of you. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what, when, when I hear you say that, I hear you describing the fact that like, it's great that people are sympathizing with our plight now after hundreds of years. Right, right. <laughs> Hello, we, yes nothing's changed but if you say that you care what are you doing about it and that is hard to really weed through when like I think because Instagram and Facebook is such a great platform to spread news it can be easy to find yourself like clicking that share button is like I'm doing something and then you go go back to whatever you were doing in your your apartment um And forgetting about it until two days later when there's another trending post. Right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, there's so many of like these crazy factors in play. Like you're saying about like not even being able to have a lot of lighter skinned black women really see 
this that there is a difference between the way that you get treated and they do a lot of that stems from the beauty industrial complex and this confidence industry of like women let's accept other women and you know like i think that there's just too many opinions and not enough education too right right so i i i feel bad for like the terrible things that black girls have to hear right now <laughs> like honestly it's probably not great because yeah. there's a lot of dumb allies out there that just don't get it and i find it painful <laughs> it's like watching a slow train crash in a car <laughs> when, it, when it's slowly crunching together <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i mean I, yeah <laughs> so i'm glad that you that you mentioned you know like you know, we, we came to this place about how we, how we perceive ourselves, how the outside world perceives ourselves. And in the work that you do now, like you, like you said, you've successfully been uh, freelancing and, and now have your own brand for the past seven years. And, you know, and, and forgive me, I do personally think that it has been more than seven years. I think your, your time and duration in your previous industries count towards that experience so um so yeah you've been doing this for a long time and i think now you have the opportunity to choose your projects and create your own side projects right so yeah. i would i would love to hear more about some of your your favorite ones or ones that inspired you um and i and since we're talking about bodies you know you 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 did recently do that um project on real bodies and yes um, i just want to hear more about that and and what was inspiring you? Sure. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying before, we experience a lot of trauma with or without trying in the corporate environment as women of color. Mm. And I think that I got to a point when I moved to New York where I was so driven and so so hungry to succeed at everything that I had set up as goals that I didn't really have time to think about how much I could use that same talent to benefit the world around me, which is actually who I truly am. Like, mm -hmm. I'm not the fashionista, you know, who wants to go to the fashion shows, although I enjoy that. It is a great perk. That's not who I am. And I think, yeah, I got to a point where I was starting to feel like there was too many women of color and there was too much trauma and there was too many stories to ignore. And if I was truly, like, I got to a point where I was like, okay, I have the apartment, I have the great job. Also, I've been here before and I quit. So you need to think about wh why that happened, right? Right. And that's when I came to the decision that I'm going to have my own studio and I'm going to do this as much for the money and as much for the community. And right. it's going to be like a collective thing. And initially, I got a lot of other artists involved. And that's how I met Jose, too, because, you know, just chatting and networking with other people and getting to know a lot of like other voices and just like talking to the locals. Like I lived in an area called Brownsville and there was just like so much black culture there. Mm -hmm. And I could see so many of the issues. And I realized like, you can talk about this. You can do it with the simplicity of a sticker. You can do it with the simplicity of a photograph or a t-shirt, you know? And I started using that and using it and mixing it with the skills that I had as a designer and a professional 
So I could have that level of quality, but still tell like raw, real stories of people that get overlooked. Right. Because like in the, in the corporate industry, they're always looking at the rich people, the niche market. It's never the people that are overlooked. And when you live in a place like Brownsville, you start to see like the redlining that happened, the food deserts, just like the lack of after school programs or like great education. There's just too many things that if you, like Nina Simone always says, like if you're a true artist, you have to reflect the times you live in. Mm. And her documentary was a great example of how there hasn't been enough done after the civil rights movement to keep it going, to keep women of color, to keep black women at the forefront and in the limelight. Right. And I just, I've had like the last project I did was one of them was about all bodies are good bodies, which is confronting the confidence industrial complex. And I think that affects dark skinned black women greatly, Mm -hmm. especially if you're a fat, dark black woman, then you are being overlooked a lot of the time by beauty, fashion, you name it. Mm -hmm. And I also did a project that spoke to racism specifically towards women of color. Um, Those were two projects that I've been passionate about. And those are examples, I think, of how I've tried to get involved and use my skills from Adidas and Lululemon and all the luxury brands and just give it to the women and the people that need it. I think if every artist, a creative can do that in in their own way, then there will not be this power trip that the corporates have anymore. Mm -hmm. There will be more balance. Right. They will have to seek out the communities like to find yeah. what they actually are are looking yeah. for. Yeah, yeah I, I think... don't really know where I have, that's still it's still a work in progress, but that's the dream, you know. Like that's kind of the the objective right now. I think and and it's it's great that it's a work in progress because just like you know, just as you quoted Nina Simone, the whole point is that in our times, excuse me, things continue to morph. They continue to change. Like even now from you know, a global health pandemic, just that factor is going to change how it influences our behaviors societally. Yes. And that is so influential on how we communicate with one another, just taking that into, into effect that changes the way we work. And now we're talking about people and, and people who are trying to heal and understand each other. That's even greater confluence of different personalities and experiences and thought processes and I think you make a great point that a lot of what people don't understand is that you know art and images they they have the power to convey a story through a simple message and that is one of the hardest things like I find myself um I I do this project called 100 days of six minute stories and the hardest thing for me is to distill because I could keep going, I could pontificate forever. I, I, it should really be called nine minute stories because I can <laughs> never get it down to six minutes. But, um, but when I see like really powerful designers, yeah. you know, the idea is that someone could read it in two seconds and feel something. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really important. Um, and something else you brought up that I've I've been I was thinking about the other day is someone asked me if I like if I regret having to go through working for people who are putting me down and I said 
think, even though I never saw myself ending up in the corporate world, that I needed to be there so that I could understand how they think right. in order to combat it. Yes. And, it, and the, is that kind of how you feel? Absolutely. Like I, uh, when I worked at this French fragrance house, you know, one of the, he, one of the perfumers there, he's one of the best in the world. And he and I really clicked because he, he always wanted to be an artist, but he never could get, he never, it never worked out for him. Mm -hmm. So he always enjoyed my company. And he always said to me, like, there's two things you need, you need to be thirsty. And the second thing is exactly the point you're making. He, he, get into the position of power and then all of the shit that you're complaining about you can do something about because mm -hmm. i'd be like you know i don't understand why this has to be like this and he was like look i'm 80 years old now like i've been doing this my whole life <laughs> let me give you one piece of advice just get to a position of power and then make all the demands that you want to and no mm -hmm. one will say no to you mm -hmm. and that's not very different from what you and i have experienced like that is a rite of passage that you have to have as a strong woman of color if you ever want to find that light that guides you for the rest of your life. Right. I think that I do agree with that in many ways, and but I think for listeners, one thing that I think, and tell me if you agree, is that there are different ways to consider yourself in a, in a power position, right? Yes. So you and I chose the entrepreneurial tract mm -hmm. um, where we could make our own decisions. Um, and then there are going to be some women who still want to be in corporate and, uh, right. and go down that managerial role. And I think, I think the great thing about a leader and someone who is intending to be a leader or planning to be a leader is that uh, it, the quality is that you still, even when you're not there yet, you still stand up for what you believe in and it, yeah. and it's a risk, but, yeah. um, but I totally agree for better or worse is like, you have to <laughs> kind of for worse, but no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, it is exactly like that. You described it well. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Because it is, it's like, you don't really know how things are going to work out. You just like have to stick to your guns. On, on the things that you know inherently would destroy your soul if you didn't do them. Right. You know, and I think that those are what, like you could survive a corporate environment. Gosh, so many women are doing it, killing it. Mm -hmm. But it's also like, if your brain doesn't work that way, it may not be ideal for you. Yeah. But a lot of people's brains do, and then you can find your freedom within that. Yeah. You just have to like figure out, figure it out, read a lot of books. That's, that's usually the, the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. I know I, I always talk about my dad and also I spoke to a few other women in like in very impressive roles. And I'm always like, okay, how did you get there? Like, how did you get this title? Yeah. I think what women of color forget to do is like, all you have to do is ask. So many right. people that I know who've gotten the roles that they have is just been yeah. like, oh, this role, does, this title doesn't exist. Can I be the head of blah, blah, blah? Obviously, you have to have the merit. Yeah. But, um, but it's not something, when I was there, I would, have, I would never think to be like, can you give me this supervisor title? <laughs> you know, I'd be, my first thought, and hey. unfortunately, it would be to assume be in my head already that there's no way that 
they would give that to me. Yeah. yeah, I mean, do you feel like, especially living in LA and New York, these big creative places, mm. there is a little bit of that self-doubt and imposter syndrome? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Imposter syndrome. First of all, I don't know. I hate that word, but it is so right? real. <laughs> because it, it, it isn't necessarily, I mean, there's so many terms like that where I'm like, that is so... <laughs> not what that is but okay, it, it, let's call it that <laughs> but yeah we'll call it that because yeah on the surface that is where i think it's deeper though it's more yeah like, because like you we go into it right with already this self-deprecation mm-hmm. we don't really need imposter syndrome <laughs> <laughs> on top of everything else it it is so i think that's that is a great question in the sense that like i um I know so many brilliant artists or even let's take podcasting, for example, you know, like I'm a bit of a one man show right now um, and it will, it will continue to brighten up and polish as I go. But even when I listen to other podcasts, I forget that I do have different skill sets just based on my experience that it's not starting from zero, but Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm always like, it's not there yet. It's not where I want it to be. And I think that is sort of the base of a lot of people who have so much care. I feel the difference in a lot of Black women and men who are in these positions where they know they are struggling and they're fighting uphill is because they care that much about their success or whoever that they are doing it for or they're wanting to support or their goals in the future. Yeah, that there's so much at stake and you put that pressure on yourself in it's this thing where I say like in the past I've always had a fear of like success and failure and so when you take that risk you could get that no and and when you're not used to um, accepting that that's part of the process that's kind of where I see imposter syndrome coming into play where you see someone else has received this blessing Right. You didn't stop to be like, were they having those same feelings? Did they ask? Did they already go through all of these steps of, you know, struggle and strife? Um, Because we don't talk about it enough. Yeah. Some of them do probably, but a lot of them probably don't. Like, I think a lot of people get lucky. You know, it's just like what the universe has earmarked for each of us. Right. Anything. And it, it happens in our own time. In, yeah in well you also like bring up a good point of how like our attitudes towards it are fairly holistic compared to the average person of color that's in the rat race mm-hmm. and they're like you fucking crazy bitch like what are you doing like <laughs> quit your job to do what like to make three posters for people when there's racism happening you do what like my, my partner's grandmother is like the cutest Oh, Jewish lady from the Upper West Side. Mm. And I do art therapy, or I used to. Before oh, nice. At um, the Upper East Side rehab facility. And she goes, are you getting paid for that? <laughs> and I'm like, no. No, I'm doing it at the generosity of my heart. And she's like, what? <laughs> You're volunteering? You're an artist? You should be selling stuff. <laughs> it's so interesting because... I when I tell people that I was let go 
Like I'm telling them with a smile on my face and they're and <laughs> the like, first oh, she's thing, lost it. She, she's crazy. <laughs> the first thing they say to me instinctually, and that is just how we are society, is like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like <laughs> and I have to respond by saying like it was one of the best things that's that's ever happened to me. It was my it was one of my biggest fears. And when it happened, my brain instantly was like, oh, nothing bad happened to you. You are just no longer going to that place anymore. Right. And your job. Exactly. Yeah. And we put so much pressure on ourselves. We've we invest so much energy into this one place. And I think what we forget is that we are riding our tails to make someone else's dream come true. So a lot of people don't sit down to think and be like, if I put that much work and energy into my own stuff, what can I make? Right. Why do we spend so much time building other people's dreams? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. And yeah, I, I saw a poster like that actually when I was living in Bushwick and that was right about when I started my studio and I'd always say it to myself, I wish I could remember the graffiti artist, but it was exactly that. It was just don't waste time building other people. Don't waste time helping other people build their dreams. Mm. And mm. I was like, yeah, okay. Like whatever you're doing, even if you're, you're not making hundreds of dollars every day, mm. as long as you're like surviving and you're happy, you're thriving. Right. Like, even though I wasn't making thousands of dollars every week, I was so much happier. I am so much happier. Right. Because when I do do things that are important, I feel like it, it's not going to matter the logos I made for those big luxury brands. It's not going to matter the cool design concepts I came up with that made them millions of dollars. What's going to matter is that like, I have women of color emailing me and texting me going, your posters have been all over the country and they've made me feel really good about myself. Thank you for doing this. Or like, it's been all over all over the country and I feel very like warm inside because no one ever talked about like mm-hmm. I'm referring to a poster series an art series I did in New Zealand right after the bombings at the mosques in Christchurch oh, yeah and I, I really did it for brown women and Muslim women because I feel like in New Zealand we had a we have a very bad problem with xenophobia and mm-hmm. just ignorance white ignorance and fragility and yeah, I think that that made me feel like, okay, this is what you need to do because look at the response. There's people, there's women that you're making happy. Like that was a key issue for me right. to bring up and put on a pedestal for the oppressed women in my community and then the other communities around me. You know, yeah. like that's important to me. When you were making your way up and, and figuring out your concept for like how you were going to, choose work or or grow your business um was there anyone who sort of helped you along the way that was prominent in your in your um voyage i mean i I feel like there were a lot of contacts and like you know people that you meet through work and through traveling and being in the industry and those kind of people definitely did help me a little bit just to like you know get clients and when i was first freelancing Mm-hmm. But in terms of like all of the social work that I've done or the artwork that's more um, surrounding social issues, no, I've always seek that out. I always, mm-hmm. always had to seek that out myself. Right. There haven't really been enough prominent people. I, I do, I will say that 
a lot of women of color because I try to go to a lot of like meetups or, um, you know, like round tables or business round tables with women of color. And so, right. you know, you get to meet, like you were saying, these women with these incredible jobs and you just get to ask them like, how did you get this job? Yeah. So I feel like they were the prominent people for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's super, it's so important. And I think people, I can be very quiet in a room full of people, but when I see a black woman on a panel, like, you know, without a doubt that I'm going to be the first one with my hand up with it. The yeah. question over here, <laughs> yeah. like just wanting to pick their brain and let them know, like, we see you just seeing you sitting there is inspiring to us, you know? And I think yeah. I'll always feel that way, even, uh, even as an entrepreneur. And I guess I feel that way when I'm like, when I'm reaching out to people to interview, I'm not going to lie. Absolutely. So <laughs> I mean, you are, we are, we're, we're doing it. It's just like, you know, there isn't tons of validation. Mm. Like, like some people do get, and then, you know, we get imposter syndrome because we're like, well, I did more work. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Right. I, I mean, like that, that, that's one of the issues. Like we don't have enough validation, like, because it's like, you're not getting a big fat paycheck every week. So you're right. like, oh, is this working? Is this not working? But I think that just go to a museum and look at the art pieces that really stood out, right? Right. And then look at your work and your concepts and how that's going to play in to the yeah. whole, into the whole puzzle. <laughs> One thing that you've, you've been, um, you know, indirectly describing about yourself that I love is that everything that you are just inherently like a cultural researcher you know, like, I guess so, yeah. Yeah, you are. I mean, you're 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 like a social anthropologist in the in the way where you are always, you know, watching the latest film or movie or music video or or reading that book that sort of can attribute to your thought process to come up with your creative ideas. And you know, like, I'm a little bit of a like a dork so I'm always watching like the wrong thing like the thing that's like nobody else knows friends on loop <laughs> well okay living single we were... living single better. <laughs> it was terrible okay I am 36 so I'm gonna say that that was a default of being like old living like, single no friends where you're oh. like, oh, clearly friends because that's the only thing that's been on tv forever but no recently stopped being the only thing <laughs> living single is fucking awesome that it's is, so much better than friends friends stole the concept yeah. yeah oh my god yeah <laughs> but that could be a whole show where we just go okay what show is this concept stolen from that was actually a show for people of color in the 80s <laughs> exactly 100 percent um no but like that's a good example where i'm just watching old stuff and and so it's like i so for me i have these conversations in order to make sure you know of course i'm doing i'm reading articles and i'm scouring the news but like i need to have relationships with people who are like in the mix because that's how i you know like i'm always interested in what is furthering other people's lives so i love when i meet someone who's just like you know, I read this, I, and I, I went to that, you know? <laughs> I often feel like you, so it's good to hear that 
there's someone dorkier than me out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. That's um, okay. I wear it like a badge, you know. <laughs> I'll have to make you just like a really cool badge. That <laughs> so dope type, like really dope typography. So down. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's it's hard. I, I joke with my husband that he's like four or five years younger than me. And I often mm. joke with him like, that's why I married you. I finger on the beat. Of the world, but I don't know what's gonna happen when he's like 35 because then we're gonna have to like become a thruple or something. I don't know. <laughs> Bring in some fresh blood. But Yo, are you pop culture right now? Tell me, are you sure he's the one? Because, like, when you when I saw all of his like his Beatles and Star Wars paraphernalia, like that is like me, and I'm a violinist, so I was like. I feel like you're the one that's like keeping the pop culture in maybe, the relationship. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm keeping him on his toes. Maybe I'm keeping him on his toes because I do try to like, I am definitely the one that motivates us to go do shit and see mm-hmm. shit. Like his, he's more like, let's go eat at this restaurant. Right. Let's go hang out at blah, blah, blah's house. And I'm like, that's cool, but what am I going to do? Like, that's not riveting for me. <laughs> give me something to divulge and absorb. I'm so hungry. But yeah, I do think it is anthropological. I just like, I'm always interested in what people are doing, what's relevant and important to them, mm-hmm. wherever I am. And I think that that's really great for living in New York City, because when you're like the newcomer in a neighborhood that used to be lower socioeconomic and is now gentrified right you really have to be respectful of that right yeah I think that's that is absolutely true and I I know you're not in Brownsville anymore but I no. interned um at Health First which is like a New York City health oh, I know exactly company. where that one is oh really yeah so there's so there's like a, t- a block from from where I lived oh really yes the Halsey train station mm-hmm. so they have different um like satellite offices and right. so i i was working in the headquarters during grad school and um and so i grew up in white suburbia and i'm uh i'm african from you know my grandfather was the secretary general of uganda and my mom is descendant of royalty so like in the grand scheme of things if if our lives had been different, like, and, and let's say we cared about classes, like, I didn't really understand what life in Brownsville was like. I knew I wanted help. And then when we would, when we would go in there, and we were trying to tackle, like, the food desert issues and diabetes, I realized how much, like, the fact that I didn't have any brown people in my life. And I was so, I was more excited to see them then they were obviously to see us they just wanted the free water bottles and the (laughs) the blood pressure test but I was just like (laughs) but I was like wow Brownsville was considered one of the like hardest places to live in New York City when you when you look at it based on the attributes of what people consider quality of life exactly but for me it was so important to be like I'm a black person that doesn't know what the re- what the black experience is like for many people because I've been so separated and now right. I'm like right. I'm I'm 30 and trying to make up for it by just getting to know as many people's stories 
as I can. And every time I talk to everybody, it's like, we have this common thread, you know, like we're all just trying to be taken seriously and understood and have, you know, that good quality of life that isn't what we, what we um, consider a a good quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because, you know, where is the access to that? It Mm -hmm. hasn't really been freely available. Like our communities and our families that live in their homelands kind of depend on us in that sense because they're just going by what they think is best. And a lot of the time that's not what's best. It's actually what the, the sloppy third, sloppy seconds, sloppy mm-hmm. thirds of like the white countries and the West mm-hmm. and they deign and decide you should have and shouldn't. Right. right? Because there's all of these partitions and I don't know, it's hard, but it's also important to remember that like, we don't have to identify necessarily with either of those groups to help and to be part of it. Right. I definitely feel like it's an interesting issue for me because I have other friends like you who are from Africa, but lived in the United States. And there is a, there is a divide between, would I be correct in saying that in like Africans? And I don't know, I, I want to understand more about that. Yeah. It's an interesting issue. When I lived in Brownsville, I noticed there was a, an influx of immigration of Africans to the, the area, and I thought that was really cool. It was yeah. cool to see, like, more culture. I think, like, Namibia, Nigeria. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. so you're asking if there's a divide between yeah. Black Americans. Well, not even a divide, just, like, in terms of how you identify yourself. I see, yes. And, and yeah, I know we, we touched upon this very briefly, our last chat, and... So just based on my experience, um, and so my mom came here when she was 21, my father when he was closer to 10, um, and one, you know, my mom came in hopes to go to school, and my father's family came on asylum, political asylum, and, um, and so I didn't grow up thinking that I was American at all and at the time when we were children we would travel back home quite often and then um my parents ended up splitting up and money became the issue to get to go home right you know so then the longer you stay here what my accent has changed like four times over that's another thing but anyway oh my gosh yes i i Especially you coming from New Zealand and then, you know, India to New Zealand. Oh, there's like, my partner was like, oh, I feel so bad for you. You can't, you can't please anyone. Because when Mm -hmm. I was in India, they're like, oh, you sound so Kiwi. And in New Zealand, they're like, oh, you sound so American now. (laughs) And in in America, they're like, are you from England? (laughs) Are you from Long Island? Are you from Florida? Oh, my God. Are you Canadian? Uh, no. It's great. <laughs> I don't know what it is with Americans not being able to, like, attribute accents. You know, your accent is so identifiable to me as a mix of African and something mm. English, like, American. Yeah. yeah. We, and back in the day, like, we, we just call it Afro-British because, you know... Mo- Afro-British. Yeah, because so many were colonized. And then I think my accent is very odd because I think I just spent so much time. I spent so much time with my mother and watching BBC and that's kind of how right. mine cemented. Do you people and, often think you're from South Africa? 
Oh, that's a good question. No, it's it's, it's funny. A little bit, like a very refined. That'd be cool. That's that'd be kind of cool because I I've I've gotten if you see my my twin sister and I are fraternal, right. and she has distinct features. So people often know that she's either Ghanaian or she is, or they. I think someone has asked her if she was uh, Senegalese once, and uh, I've I, my features are so like I said, Ghana, Uganda, and then there's historically some Irish. So my features are a little bit uh, more uh, ambiguous. So mm-hmm. people just say like, oh, they think I'm, Af- they think I'm African-American in quotations mm-hmm. since, you know, you and I use black. But um, yeah, so when, when someone thinks I'm from any African country, I'm automatically like, I swoon because I'm like, someone notices. <laughs> which is so sad, but I'm like, um, so yeah, I mean, just to, to briefly sort of conclude the, the, the answer to your question is, I felt it so important to keep a separation when I was growing up. And then I realized as, you know, the thing I love about our generation is that compared to our parents, there is this desire to have solidarity in in the fact that we understand that those who are challenging us or creating barriers for us, they see us and it does not matter if, if at the time, if we're African or black American to yeah. them, it, it like from, if you're two, yeah. two miles That's away, yeah. someone has already decided that you're a threat. It, they don't care what your, where your passport's from. So that's why I'm really loving that um, black is a new term to sort of anchor us in the diaspora. But yes, growing up, I felt like, I felt defensive. Like I, I was yeah. like, I know where my parents are from. Like, yeah. I was like, I don't need to dilute that when I know and I'm very proud. And I think now I can continue to be proud. And if someone is close enough in my circle, that we have the conversation and they're interested in me, then that will organically come about where I can tell them about the rich history that my family has. Yeah. yeah. And it is a very rich history. Mm. And yeah, like it's a great point about how when someone is being prejudiced, it really doesn't matter the intricacies and nuances of your existence. Like you're mm. just black or brown or whatever they want to call you. It's funny, like I'm clearly light skinned for if I was being called black but like I've had Puerto Ricans and like white people say to me oh you look black like if I saw you I'd call you black and I'm like mm. that's offensive for the other reasons that you not the ones you think but right. other reasons right. that I wouldn't say to them because they're clearly idiots but <laughs> it sucks that like that's how that be like it really fucking sucks yeah like, I wish that that could change because if anything, like there is just a rich history of amazingness and creativity that black people have to share that just hasn't been tapped into yet. And it has actually already, it's just never been attributed to them. Right. Right. Fair. People, like, people just easily forget that like, yeah. Oh, so these black people did this already. But they're like, Oh, yeah. we just discovered this. Oh, we're going to patent it. And I'm like, okay. yeah, I mean, working in fashion, I, I, I was always appalled by that, you know, like, there's so much appropriation from tribal culture. And right. You often just, you're like, I, I feel like the easier way would be to just close my eyes and let this one go. 
than like to explain <laughs> to you in your white fragile state what's wrong with this right <laughs> like are there ever ever any moments where you would have gone back and said something different oh yeah i like replay all of like the moments that i could have done that and i'm like oh there's so much i could have done different i feel like now i have the words and the terms that i didn't back then mm-hmm. so i think i would be way more succinct and way more like apt at being able to say what i needed to right if i could go back that's i think probably what i would do different cuz right. there there was times where you know like i worked at a major sports company and it was really the the hatred of me as a person like without really knowing what i'm capable of just like what i wasn't i wasn't from there i didn't speak that language i didn't look like them and all those things kind of added up to my termination which was very unfair right but at the time I hated it so much and you know your body experiences so much trauma that you're like peace like mm-hmm. you were saying you were happy because you were like it was the best thing that ever happened yeah in a way it is the best thing that ever happened to me because I would have been so miserable and I would have never found my truth right. but at the same time it's like yeah I wish that I had put them in their place so they didn't keep doing that shit to other people right exactly yeah. Well, I want to close by giving you an opportunity to sort of describe what your goals are for your studio moving forward and um <laughs> money weren't an issue and, right. and just what is something where you you really want to leave your stamp or just that dream that that keeps popping up into your head? The dream. <laughs> this is the world. <laughs> oh, I see it. Such a cute globe. <laughs> Me conquering it. <laughs> I feel like all of my interviews end in some way where I'm discussing taking over the planet with someone. Well, in that case, I clearly will have a good posse near you to do it. And, you know, hopefully they're all beautiful women of color like you are. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think all women are beautiful, so that's that. There's yeah. like tears but yeah that would be dope i i would love to honestly keep going with what i'm doing and i feel like what would be nice is to have more impact with each project because mm-hmm. i think if you're not willing to throw a bunch of money and a bunch of sponsorships of things and make them like corporate it's very hard to get the space right i would really love to get seen more because i want to have my studio like i would love to have younger women of color who are designers come through and help them teach them have a bigger studio because i think one thing that was a big struggle for me as a designer and a woman of color was no one really wanted to give me a chance mm. and it's taken this long and now everyone looks at my portfolio and they're blown away but it took so much time to just right. get to that point and i would like to be the person that allows women to not have to go through that right the conduit let me see yeah the beautiful work that you can do let me just trust you i think there's a huge lack of trust and i feel like you and i and other women like us and men whatever gender you are however you identify there's a certain like psychological mentality where we're trying to change the structure of right. workplaces industries jobs how we treat each other how we employ each other and i want to be part of that Yeah. Yeah. That's really beautiful. 
And I have no doubt in my mind that you're going to make it happen. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is why we're here doing this together. Um, and I just, and you're absolutely right. Like I'm, your portfolio is the shit. And I think that a lot of people should look at it. And I think people also need to identify the strides and the struggles that it took for people to get to where they are um, yeah. in, in this moment of time when or whenever someone is viewing yeah. those things so um at least for me you have like a massive fan and i'm gonna be of course Yay. putting all of your links and and bios in the show notes um and i just think that every year is a new year a new opportunity so i'm looking forward to all of the things yes. that you're you plan to build we're putting out lots of good vibes for the new year, great collective consciousness. Let's bring in good opportunities for all the beautiful women of color out there. We're struggling artists. <laughs> Breaking the bank. Unemployment goes away this week or next week. This is <laughs> true. <laughs> We're back to uh, just the soul, soul, the soul part of soul proprietors. <laughs> So yeah, man, we gotta dream big, go hot or go home. Yeah, is, is go, go, go big or go home. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I'm probably a little bit more sexual than you show. <laughs> Let's end on that note. Hot. <laughs> Life this year will be hard. The word for 2020 is hard. It's hard. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marion. Like this has yeah, been thank you for having me. such a pleasure. And I'm sure I'll have you back on when I'm like up into the two hundreds of episodes. And oh I'll have God, you. you. Yeah, let's just let's just keep in touch and for sure. I'm really excited for what's to come. Follow Marion's Instagram page at Studio by Harlow to see her latest designs. Thank you again for joining us on The Only Black Girl on Mars. I had such a blast interviewing Marianne and just having an open conversation with her. If you want to hear the rest of our conversation, please subscribe on Patreon. And do me a favor and shower Marianne with some birthday love. I'm so grateful that I continue to have such valued listeners. And if there are any topics that you're interested in, please send me a note. We're always just an email or message away. I'll see you next time on Mars.